Is this thing on? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Summits Podcast. Thank you for joining us from wherever you guys get your podcasts, or if you're watching on the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel, thank you for joining us there. If you are on the YouTube channel and you haven't hit the subscription button or that little notification bell, please do so, so you guys can be alerted to when new episodes like this one drop. Today, we are privileged to have a very first-time guest on the Summits Podcast, Mr. Scott Pollard. Scott, welcome to the Summits Podcast. Thanks for having me, Vince. You're welcome. Why don't, uh, for those that may not know Scott, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little background story? Well, um, I'm a man of many parts. I was born in Utah. I grew up in San Diego. I went to high school, two different high schools. One of them was in Washington State, okay. uh, but I ended up going back to San Diego and graduating down there. Uh, I signed with the University of Kansas to play basketball, and I really never went home. Uh, Kansas became home. Okay. Uh, I spent... 11 years in the NBA after graduating from Kansas in 1997. I was a first round pick for the Detroit Pistons uh, and then played 11 years in the NBA total. Uh, always had an off season home in Kansas, um, but I got traded here in 2003 from the Kings mm -hmm. to the Pacers and uh, never left really. I've always had a place here since 2003, working on uh, 19, almost 20 years now here. Uh, we're realtors, my wife and I are realtors in Carmel. Uh, it's, uh, we're West Clay Realty at EXP, under, brokered by EXP, which is a worldwide company. And uh, we're doing very well. In fact, my wife was supposed to be here today and a, a, a job popped up this morning. She had to show a house and uh, right. I, she's writing up an offer right now. So awesome. she's nice. working. So that's why she couldn't <laughs> be here. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so backtracking a little bit, um, I know more about your, your background than maybe the average listener or viewer of ours, but um, when, I mean, you had a great high school career. Mm -hmm. um, Tell us a little bit about the experience of your junior, senior year in high school, colleges are sending letters, starting to do the whole process. And I'm sure, I mean, you and I are about, I'm about the same age, so it's, I'm sure it's changed a little bit since then, but it was still crazy back then. What was that process like? And then I'll have a follow-up question to see whether Indiana was in the mix ever at all. <laughs> um, so I'm, I was in a unique situation. My dad is a legend in the state of Utah. He's in the state of Utah Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, so my dad was well known in Utah and my I'm the youngest of six and all five of my siblings got recruited to play basketball in college okay. Including my sister who's the only one that decided she didn't want to play mm. She had bad ankles and she was like I don't want to get surgery to keep playing so she never played but everybody okay. else played division one So they knew my family right. uh, and, and on top of that by the time I was a senior I was 33rd ranked in the country prospect okay. So everybody knew who I was I got my first recruiting letter from Jim Beheim at Syracuse yeah. in seventh grade. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> because again, everybody knew who we were, and I don't know what the rules are now, but right. I guess it was legal then. Yeah. Uh, so I had a lot of letters, that's what they did. It was snail mail, you know, the kids with the, <laughs> with the old letters and, and the stamp. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so my sophomore year was when it really got started. Um, I gave too much respect to some of the older players, and okay. then I, my sophomore year I was playing varsity, and my dad had just died. Okay. And I quit basketball for two weeks, and I started going insane, and so I started back up again. Changed my number from 35 to 31, which was my dad's number. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and so I stopped having so much respect for the older players, and it really helped me. 
I, mm. I got focused on me and me being good. And um, I'll never forget, we played against a team, and I can't remember, Pat, Sam Pasquale, I think was the name of the high school. Yeah. But uh, this kid that was a 6'10 kid that was committed to the University of Duke, mm. his name was Eric Meek. And I busted him up. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Eric. <laughs> and sorry, Eric, but that game specifically got me on Kansas's radar. Okay. Jerry Green happened to be at that game. He was an assistant coach for Roy Williams at the time. Never played for him because before I even got to Kansas, he had taken the Oregon job or the Tennessee job. I don't okay. remember which, but Jerry Green moved on. So then it went to uh, um, Kevin Stallworth. Mm. And Kevin ended up at Vanderbilt for many years. Yep. Uh, and um, then it went to Roy because yeah. it, got, it got serious. And then right. all of a sudden Roy took over and Roy was the only one I saw after that from yeah. Kansas. Yeah. Um, I can tell you again, my whole family is Mormon. We were all born in Utah. Yeah. I'm not, but to answer your next question, <laughs> Bobby Knight did not recruit me did not? Uh, for that reason. Okay. Oh, for, that, okay. for that reason. He oh. said, I know the family's Mormon and I know the way I speak is gonna offend his people, which wouldn't have bothered me at all. Because right. again, I was not, uh, I mean, I grew up in it and it's a big part of who I am but it's just not my thing. Yeah. Uh, I have great respect for the religion and, and all the people and most, most all religions. Uh, so it's nothing there. It's just, it just wasn't my thing. Right. But yeah, that's why Bobby Knight did not recruit me. That's fair. He, he, he has a very interesting vocabulary. Yeah. Shall I say? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. So th then you went on to Kansas. Um, anybody who follows college basketball knows Kansas is one of the blue chip uh, programs, very storied tradition. We just talked about they have they are now the winningest college basketball men's college basketball program in the country correct yeah they passed kentucky last year and still got the lead there you go so um what how would you summarize and that's tough to do in one you know one piece but how would you summarize your experience at kansas well it was surprising um the amount of fan support so mm -hmm. growing up in san diego it's an outdoor city Yep. No one really goes inside. Basketball doesn't get a lot of fans. Right. And we did because we were a very good high school team and okay. people were coming to see us. Uh, but uh, when I went to Kansas on my recruiting trip, they had the late night in the fog is what they called it at the yeah. time. It was a practice at midnight and it was full. And back yeah. then you could put 17,000 people in there because the fire codes changed since then. <laughs> but back then it was over 17,000 people at a practice at midnight. And I was like, what are these people doing? Why are they here at midnight? And it's, it was free and it still is, but yeah. it's just, it was insane. And so that really surprised me. Uh, I committed that night to Roy Williams um, and we were sold out all the time. I mean, it, right now, I think the streak's at like 181 straight sellouts at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh -huh. nice. uh, so the fans are always there, no matter how good the team is or how, you know, an off year is we don't win the big 12. Right. And um, they still sell out. And, and so the fan support is incredible. Roy was a great man to play for. As I mentioned, I lost my father my sophomore year of high school. I needed a father figure. I needed somebody like my brothers had been through college and all four of them, their coach was there. Then their coach wasn't there. Okay. And the new coach comes in and goes, I don't need you. And so they all end up transferring and I didn't want that. Yeah. I learned from my brothers that I wanted the coach to be there the whole time. And I made Roy Williams promise me he wasn't gonna leave for North Carolina during my four years. Okay. And he promised me and he stayed. And that became a recruiting tool because I didn't know this at the time, but I found out years later that people heard that I made Roy promise that he was gonna be there. And so players kept coming in and making him promise them he wasn't leaving right. during their time. The last two players he promised were Nick Collison and Kirk Heinrich. Okay. And he had Wayne Simeon on that roster and he still left with Wayne. So Wayne was one of Roy's guys that Bill Self inherited. Okay. And Wayne was a stud. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, that's a good class, that uh, Heinrich class. That mm -hmm. they, they got to the final two, I believe. I was at the game. I can't remember if they lost in the four or the two, but okay. they were there against Syracuse, I think. Okay, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, so um, going through, you get, get through, you get through Kansas. Um, NBA draft comes around. First round, I think you were the what? Nineteenth. Nineteenth pick. Thank you. Um, so then, what happened? What was your and again? How do you summarize your NBA experience? I mean, you, you were with a couple of different teams. Eleven years is a long time. Yeah, um, you know, there's only about been about forty-five hundred NBA players ever. Okay. Not tenure guys, ever. Just guys right. that made a roster, yeah. um, played a game, and so you don't know those stats. I didn't know those stats until a couple of years ago, actually. And so the, the thing I found out as a retired player is there's a reason why the benefits kick in after three and a half, then seven, then yeah. 10 years. So you get some benefits after a three-year career, but that's about average for most NBA yeah. players. Seven is when you get a lot more benefits because not very many people make it that long. Right. And then 10, you get 100% because very few players make it past 10 years. Um, for example, Vince Carter, another crazy stat. Vince Carter played with 78%, I think. I think that was the number okay. of all NBA players in NBA history. Wow. Because he had a 20-year career and played with so many players, played with or against almost 78% of the entire history of the NBA. That's, that's, that's an impressive number. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and then you would imagine Tim Duncan had a 20-year career, probably similar right. number, yep. you know. Uh, so it's a family, and it, it's something that you don't, I didn't know, didn't think about going in, didn't know these stats. Uh, didn't want to get drafted by Detroit, but I did. And went there and loved it. Wanted to be part of the future of the program. I loved playing with Grant Hill, amazing human being. Right. Off the court, great teammate. His parents loved me, I loved them. Um, made some friends on the team. Theo Ratliff was a great guy, uh, is a great guy. Um, Grant Long, I mean, I could name off the whole roster. Sure. And when we had some of the bad boys still on that team, it was right. Rick Mahorn and Joe Dumars were still on that team from the bad boys era. So it was like a little bit of history and the new breed. And that was the theme for the season was new breed. We had those okay. ugly teal jerseys. <laughs> oh, they're so bad, so bad. But they're bringing them back, I heard this year. Right. I'm like, what are you thinking? They were awful in the 90s. They're worse yeah. now. So is, is, it, is it make us feel old when the retro comes back? It's like, wait, I, oh shit, now I'm, I'm the retro. retro jersey. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, so how long were you in Detroit? Just one year, okay. and then the lockout happened. Oh, that's right. Okay. And I had a baby on the way, and so I was like, well, I, I don't want to miss the beginning, the, like if the season starts up again. So we yeah. stayed in Detroit, and then finally they were like, we had the baby in November, and the season wasn't starting. So then we went back to Kansas. Okay. And then all of a sudden in February, the season ended, or the season began. So I go back to Detroit, and I go in to work out and one day, and Lindsey Hunter goes, hey, man, what are you doing here? And I go, well, what are you doing here? Here to work out, man. He goes, no, it was in the paper this morning. You got traded. Uh. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? They can do that? And so, um, yeah, I got traded to the Atlanta Hawks for Christian Leitner. Okay. And Never heard of him. Yeah, that one guy from Duke. Right. Um, and we, I get down there and sign a lease on the house. They tell me I'm part of the future of the franchise. That's, okay. that's the kiss of death right there, by mm. the way. If you ever hear that from an NBA general manager, you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Pete Babcock, uh, nothing against him. He just had a roster issue. He had too many players and, and needed to put somebody on the injured reserve, okay. which at the time you had to fake an injury to be on or you had to actually be injured. And so actually my rookie year, I had spent a few games here and there with a 
right groin pull because okay. uh, they put me on injury reserve, uh, but I wasn't really injured. So they wanted to challenge that rule, which now it's fair. Now they just have three reserve players. Okay. They have 12 active players and three reserves. You don't have to fake an injury. You can, they keep, get to keep 15 on the roster. Okay. But back then it didn't exist that way and he didn't want to keep a player over 12 because then the owner is like, hey, I'm paying this guy to not do anything. Right. So they gave me that option. Faking, uh, go on the injured reserve without an injury and test the NBA or we can cut you. So mm -hmm. I called my agent and I said, hey, I don't know if I belong in the NBA. This is weird, man. I walk into Detroit, they trade me without warning. I'm here in Atlanta, they're telling me they're gonna cut me. My contract's got two years left on it, I'm guaranteed. I can go back and get my master's degree in education in Kansas. I got one semester of student teaching and I'll be a master's in education. I'll teach high school. I can pay for my house that I bought in Lawrence, Kansas. This isn't my thing. I really thought about quitting. And he goes, hold on. Let me see if I can get some teams that want you. He called me back an hour later. He said, tell them to cut you. There's four teams that want you right now. Okay. And he said, I think the best fit is Sacramento. Next day, I'm on a plane to Sacramento or to Philadelphia because they're on their East Coast swing. Okay. I'm in a Sacramento jersey that night playing against Allen Iverson. Mm, nice. <laughs> and uh, played the rest of that season, got paid by the Atlanta Hawks and the Sacramento Kings because guaranteed contracts are an amazing, beautiful thing. Yep. And uh, they loved what I did for them, but it was a short season. That summer, they signed me to a one-year deal. Still got paid by the Atlanta Hawks and the Sacramento Kings. And then after that year, they were like, okay, you're legit. And they gave me a six-year deal. Nice. Three years into that deal, uh, I fractured my spine. Mm. Nobody's really know, sure how that happened. Yeah. But I did uh, in the fall of that last season in Sacramento. It was the 01-02 season. Uh, no, it was the 02-03 season. And uh, I spent about four months doing water treadmill, swimming, uh, walking underwater, mm -hmm. running underwater, and finally came back. And it wasn't ever the same, but it was okay. And I came back in my first, first game, I'm guarding Drago Sertag, a college teammate right, of mine. Yeah. And I'm, I go to swipe the ball away from him and my finger gets caught on his jersey and it snaps my bone right here. But I still stole the ball and Mike Bibby gets it and I outrun everybody, he throws it back to me and I dunk it and I go, ow. And I go over, the, Jerry, Jerry Sloan calls a timeout to yell at Greg Ostertag for this guy stealing the ball and going and getting a dunk right. on it. And he goes, you know, they're yelling over there and I go over to the trainer and goes, what's wrong? I was like, nothing. He goes, put your fist around my hand and squeeze. I go like this and this bone goes uh -huh. <laughs> And I was like, uh-uh, you didn't see that? He goes, yeah, dude, I saw that. I was like, no, you did not see that. It's my first game back in right. four months. So I had to sit out again. I sat out another, I don't know, three or four games and I made him put a prosthetic on me so yeah, I could play. What are the odds that? Just crazy, it was just a spiral. It just snapped it and it just went, and it was clean break, just a spiral fracture and there's still a little bump there, but it didn't, it didn't really hurt, but I knew it was something right. wrong. But anyway, um, after that season, they, they traded me because I think my back was still a question okay. um, and they traded me here. Yeah. So then I spent three years here uh, Best thing that ever happened, right? Yeah, I could go into <laughs> detail on that team, uh, you know, with all the, the, you know, we had quite a bit of personalities, myself included, on that team. Yeah. Uh, and then that contract ended after three years here, the six-year deal. And uh, then I, I, my goal when I was a kid, I wrote a letter to myself in fourth grade that I was going to play 10 years in the NBA and then retire. Okay. And uh, so I had nine years under my belt. I needed one more. Yeah. And uh, uh, do you want to hear this story of how I became a Cleveland Cavalier? Yeah, why not? All right, so I'm a free agent. My agent is working the, the, the place, the whole, you know, all, all the teams. Right. 
And, and you were still at that point, you were still committed. You're like, I, I want at least another year, if not more. Yeah, and I, I wanted to be here. I was at the, the postseason. Bird had a party at his house, and some okay. of the players showed up, not all of us, but, you know, some of us. And I was like, hey, man, I want to be a Pacer. He's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like, he didn't mince any words. Okay. <laughs> he, I knew that was not going to happen. So, uh, you know, I had a house here. I had a house in Kansas, and I, I didn't want to really go to a new franchise right. again because I just wanted one more year. Wasn't going to happen. So... Um, I happened to be in Vegas on a boys trip that summer and I'm playing craps with my friends and it's not going very well. So I go, hey guys, you stay here. It's me, it's, I'm the problem. I'm gonna go switch my mojo. So yep. I go over to the table and the pit boss is a, he's standing at a private table. He goes, hey Scott, I know who you are and this guy's not coming. You can have this table. I'll leave the private thing on there and you can gamble. I was like, well, if anybody wants to play with me, they can. I don't want anybody to just walk away. Craps is sure. a communal game. Yep. So I'm playing, this little guy comes up to me. Now he's a little guy. He's like about me. right here on me. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not a big guy. And he starts peppering me with questions. What do you think about this guy? What do you think about that guy? How's this? How's that? And I'm sitting there just answering the questions and we're rolling the bones and I'm just being polite as I am with strangers, you know? And I had a couple drinks, but not, you know, I wasn't right. crazy. And we're sitting there talking. We roll the bones. We both win a little bit, not a ton, but we win a little bit. We crap out and we're like, hey, nice talking with you. He goes, hey, it was really nice meeting you. Here's my card. My name is Dan Gilbert. I'm the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. One month later, I'm a Cleveland Cavalier. My Again, agent called me the next what day. What are the odds? That, that he just walks up, sees me right. in a casino, and then, you know, obviously, and I give speeches about this all the time, about how you never know who you're gonna meet and how it'll affect your life. Yeah, so well you don't said. wanna be upset with a stranger just because it's an inconvenience to you, and it's been a lot in my life. You know, I'm tall. So people, even if they don't know who I am, they're like, you're tall. Uh, how tall are you? You know, and they interrupt right. you. And so you have to. I get you, that all the time. You be patient <laughs> with people. And, and there's times when I'm running through an airport with my family, like, really, literally, you're asking me how tall I am. And you can see I'm trying to get to my next right, flight. Yeah. But, but um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a story of just being pleasant, being polite to people. You never know who right. is going to help your life. And yeah. so, yeah, that's how I became a Cleveland Cavalier. And then I played one year there and then one year in Boston. Okay. Yep. Won a championship. Well, that is a good story. I'm glad you shared that because I wouldn't have known who Dan Gilbert was and, and no idea. I'm sure a lot of other people might not have and, and to your point could have just said dude chill yeah. with the questions or whatever. What and, if I had just been like look man I don't want to talk about basketball and he right. probably would have said fair because yeah. he's, he's he knows that people bother you all the lot he's, yeah. a, he's an NBA player you know we can't hide right <laughs> <laughs> there's only about 450 of you at any given time uh, and, and you're all giants and, and you're yeah. running around in your t-shirt and shorts on national TV and the fans right. are right there. Like other sports don't have that. Yeah. And also we're giants, we can't hide. The small guys are six feet tall yeah. in the NBA, so. Right, it, um, quick question. So when you were here with the Pacers um, and coming from four years at Kansas, did you feel at all, and, and I know it's probably hard to compare a college with the NBA, I'm, I'm assuming that's maybe a bad assumption, but did you feel a, a little bit of a similar sense in terms of crowd involvement? I mean, basketball in Indiana is very popular. Kansas, I'm sure it's the same way. Mm -hmm. Did you find that there was any similarities there and maybe differences between playing for the Pacers here in Indiana versus versus Sacramento or Boston or some other location? No, um, if anything, you know, we had a we had a frustrating team because yeah. we were very talented, but we underperformed. Okay. Our first year here uh, was the 03-04 season and we got to the Eastern Conference Finals and, yeah. and probably should have won the championship that year. That was the year that Reggie could have dunked it and he fully took the blame that he laid it up and Tayshaun Prince got that one and okay. you know so we didn't win that um, NBA championship and we should have I think we were the best team in the league at that point and 
So the next two years, we had a lot of people booing us mm -hmm. in, the, in the crowd here. So I would say it was different for me okay. from that standpoint because I had never been on a team that got booed before. Right. Even Detroit, when we were trying to make the playoffs and we almost made the playoffs, uh, they were really supportive because they weren't expecting us to make the playoffs. Right. They, had, they had seen the glory days and they were in a rebuild mode. And was, so if we had made the playoffs, it would have been butter. Sacramento was absolutely insane. Every home game was sold out. Okay. We had fans on the road. We were a traveling circus. It was nuts because we had foreign guys on our team and there's a huge Turkish population in New Jersey. Okay. So when we went to New Jersey, the entire upper deck of the old Continental Airlines arena was sold out for Hito Turkoglu, the Turkish yeah. Michael Jordan. <laughs> uh, Chicago has the largest Serbian population outside of Serbia. Yeah. So we had two of them on our team. Okay. And one of them is God in Serbia, right. that's Vladi Divac. Yeah. So we sold out pretty much everywhere we went. Cool. It, was, it was a traveling show. So when I got here, First year, the fans were good, but then the second two years, plus that thing that happened in Detroit, mm. fans turned on us pretty quickly here. Yeah. And so when a Colts player got announced, it was the loudest I ever heard that arena. Okay. It never was that loud even when we were in the playoffs, but then all of a sudden they introduce, uh, you know, the starting safety for the Colts. It's like, whoa! Right. <laughs> so we always knew this was a Colts town. We never yeah. really felt like it was a Pacers town. We always felt like it was a Colts town. Yeah. And th this is Peyton Manning's heyday, too. Sure. So to be fair, he was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, not to insult the locals, I apologize, <laughs> but uh, the true story is we were here and we had a really, really good team, uh, but we had some unfortunate off the court uh, incidents and yeah. on the court incident happened that would easily sour the fans' perspective sure. uh, for a team that should have, could have, would have won an NBA championship. Yeah. And I do want to add one more thing, Vince. Yeah. My rookie year in Detroit was the only team I was ever on from high school through my 11 years in the NBA that didn't play in the postseason. Okay, wow. All four That's years impressive. of college, three years of varsity in high school, and every year in the NBA, 10 years in a row after my rookie year. So I was lucky to be a part of teams right. that were always crowd favorites, that were fans were like, wow, this is a great team. Right. And to be able to play in the NBA Finals, my 10th year in the NBA, and then I was injured from Boston, so I didn't get to play, but we got to the Finals and, and uh, won it. Right. I mean, I, I finished on a, on a high note, and. It was just incredible to be a part of any of it. Uh, and I wear that ring for all the teams that coulda, woulda, shoulda. And that 0304 Pacers team is one of them that coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah. And so I wear that Boston Celtics championship ring for that team. Well, that's cool. Congrats on the on that championship. Good way to go out, I guess, yeah. for sure. Um, all right, well, as you know, the uh, really the, the underlying theme of, of uh, and the purpose of the, of the Summits podcast is to share cancer stories. You know, we, we talked about before, everybody has one. Mm -hmm. Scott, what's your cancer story? Well, I've got lots. Um, my mother has beaten it twice. She's still with us. My sister has had a double mastectomy. Uh, she's still with us. Uh, but we'll focus on my wife uh, because it's a positive story. I mean, all three of my main ladies are alive and they're, they're well. Right. Uh, but my wife uh, is a particularly inspiring one because she just went in because she turned 40. Okay. And a lot of women don't, as yeah. we've discovered, because she started telling people her story and people were like, I got to go get checked. I'm 41. I'm yeah. 42. And she just went in because she was 40. No history of cancer in her family. No reason to check other than, I'm 40, I'm gonna get checked. She had 11 centimeters in her left side and her, and her milk duct. And she was very lucky that she checked and the doctors all said, if she had waited another couple months, it probably would have gone invasive and then there's yeah. no telling what would have happened. Right. She was incredibly lucky that it stayed in there. Um, so they checked the other side the other side had kind of a shadow, but it was not really there, but it was like yeah. there was something there. And she just said, 
take them both. I don't, I don't even want right. to try to keep one. When one's gone, I'll, I'll, I'll be symmetrical. I don't care. I'm not trying to breastfeed anymore. We had our son already, uh, so she's not trying to have any more kids. And so she just said, take them both. And, and luckily, they got clear margins. They took everything out. She woke up from surgery cancer-free. She woke up with, you know, fake ones. I don't know how, how descriptive right. I should be about it. Yeah. Um, and they tattooed uh, areolas on her because yeah. they had to take all of the tissue. She has no breast tissue left. And it saved her life. And the doctors were incredible. They saved her life. And, she, you know, I like to joke with people. She's half Italian okay. and half Thai, like Thailand. Right, yeah. So she's quite a mix. And I'm pretty sure she scared the cancer. <laughs> because uh, it should have, at 11 centimeters, it should have gone invasive. You know, right. they say typically after three uh, in, a, in a milk duct, it typically goes invasive after three centimeters. So for her to get 11 centimeters in there right. and it didn't go anywhere else in her body and she's still cancer free to this day, she had no chemo, no radiation. And so it's a good lesson. She just went because she was 40. Ladies, gentlemen, just go get checked, please. You you're literally can save your life. Yep, well said. Um, how would you say that experience, um, everyone handles it differently. Has that experience changed any outlooks on things or changed any, any thought patterns at all? Yeah, I mean, I was totally gonna leave her. She's a terrible person. <laughs> uh, and that just kind of bonded us. So right. I decided to stick around out of pity. Oh, that's good. No. <laughs> very truthfully, uh, we were already very much in love. Yeah. Uh, this is both of our second marriage. And so we, we kind of know what works and what doesn't work in a marriage yeah. uh, when you're trying it's pretty easy. Uh, when you're not trying, it's pretty easy to go the other way. Oh. And so we both keep that in mind and, and we try, but taking care of your wife when she might not make it is something that bonds you like nothing else. And it's right. not something that I would say I would love to do again, uh, but it certainly took our relationship to a new level because you never know what's gonna happen. Even though the prognosis was good for her and then after surgery still, there can com be complications. She got a bad infection on one side and she was bleeding and leaking and it was pretty bad. Um, and so you never know. I mean, an infection can do something when your body is not, when it's off after surgery and you get an right. infection, you, you hear of people that go septic and then there's problems. So when you're taking care of your spouse and you don't know if it's the last time you talk to them, you tend to talk to them a little differently. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've tried to incorporate that into our life since then, that we're always going to say, I love you. We're always going to say what's on our mind. Yep. We don't always agree on everything. We don't always just yippy skippy jumping and <laughs> right. skipping through the daisies because yep. uh, everyone faces challenges. But we certainly have bonded and um, it has brought us closer together. And, you know, there, I've had some health issues of my own in the last year. I'm not going to go into it, but it's it's not not something you choose to go through, but it is something that can make you either break apart or get closer, and we chose closer. Yeah, well, good. That's great to hear. I'm glad she's doing well. Um, thank you for sharing that story. We appreciate it. Uh, before we head out, we do have one last item, and that's uh, December 17th. Your Jayhawks and my Hoosiers square up yeah. in Kansas. I had to break this out because um, it's cold outside. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, we're inside, but okay. What's, so what's, what's the wager? We gotta make a wager on this. All right, the Hoosiers so. look, and it, I, as much as I'm an IU fan, I'm also a little bit more realistic. Like there's already people who are anointing this team as something that I don't think they've proven yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's gonna be a great game. Kansas has a phenomenal squad. I think IU is rebounding, but I don't think they're quite there yet. In Kansas obviously puts us at a, a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, but I think it should be a pretty good game regardless. Two-story traditions. Um, what, what's your take? 
Uh, well, honestly, I haven't seen this IU team play yet. Okay. So I, I can't say what, about what IU has got and what IU doesn't have. Sure. But I can tell you from watching the Duke game, Kansas-Duke the other night, yep. uh, we don't have any bigs. Okay. We, our bigs are 6'8". They're not seven feet. And okay. Duke's seven-footers really bothered us. Uh -huh. They got rebounds. They shot over us. Uh, they blocked shots. Um, and we did a good job of taking charges and getting them in foul trouble. And that was, I think, the difference in the game down the stretch. But um, we're fast. Uh, we are very athletic. And we've got some guards that are just dynamite. They're lightning. Yeah. They are lightning fast. And, and they can really knock the, the ball down. And so... Side note, statistically, I believe Bill Self has a 92% winning percentage in Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, okay. So that's kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so we're tough to beat there. Um, and I'm going to give it to us because of that. Sure. Because, again, I don't know what IU has. I know our deficiencies. And unless IU has two seven-footers that are incredibly talented, yeah. just like Duke, I like our chances. Sure. Yeah, no, it makes we sense. We really guard people. I mean, we held that dynamic Duke team to, I think, 71 or 72 points. Okay. And I hate that about Bill Self's teams. He doesn't score a lot. We <laughs> scored a lot in college. Like, right. we, we led the nation in scoring my senior year. I loved the run and gun. And, Can't be as bad as Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, that's like 45 to 47 as a final score of those games. Yeah. I mean, a point <laughs> a minute. What are you doing to your fans? Like, right. oh, yeah, it's a defensive <laughs> battle. I love watching guys just go like this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, but uh, that's the one knock I have on Bill Self. But you know what? He does win right. quite a bit. So I, I like our chances in Allen Fieldhouse. And, you know, looking forward to the home and home because it'll be back in Bloomington next year. Right. And I don't think I've ever been to a game at Assembly oh, as really? a fan. I played okay. there, but I don't think I've ever been there as a fan. All right, well, so we, can, we, can, we can fix I, that. I'm hoping I know somebody that can maybe get me a ticket yeah. or two. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. Yeah. Um, I'll take the 17 points you're giving me for this for the <laughs> game, too. That's awesome. Appreciate you guys witnessed that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, all right, well, I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story. And thanks to all of you guys for listening in on this episode of the Summits Podcast from wherever you guys are listening or watching us on the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel. Thanks again for joining us. And don't forget, beat cancer 